we know you can't get enough of your favorite flavors. Luckily, Kroger Free Pickup makes it easy to grab what you need without any surprise fees. Whether it's extra buns for the barbecue or those chips you just can't quit, start your cart with the Kroger app. Kroger, fresh for everyone. $35 order minimum restrictions may apply, subject to availability. It's the big $10 sale, so mix and match and get two, three, four, five, or even 10 for $10 with your card. So many great deals. Kroger, fresh for everyone. The we're going family style deal. Because I want a bite of your Big Mac. And I need some of your quarter pound. I'll try your filet of fish. There's a deal for every friend group at McDonald's. Order any two classics for just six bucks. Price of participation may vary. Single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer. Welcome to Mission Evolution Radio Show with Gwilda Wiaka, bringing together today's leading experts to uncover ever-deepening spiritual truths and the latest scientific developments in support of the evolution of humankind. For more information on Mission Evolution Radio with Gwilda Wiaka, visit www.missionevolution.org. And now, here's the host of Mission Evolution, Miss Gwilda Wiaka. I'm so glad you can join us. This is Mission Evolution, bringing the latest knowledge from today's leading experts to support your evolutionary process. This hour, we'll consider making a difference with scientifically proven actions. Let's face it, we're in a time of massive global challenges, one so large we may be tempted to throw up our hands in despair, feeling inept and totally overwhelmed. What can one person do when confronted with such seemingly insurmountable problems? We know that change starts first with the individual. There are many of us who would want to take action, but are clueless as to what action to take. With us this hour to explore a possibly viable approach to these challenging times is Quan Lin Huan. Quan is the author of the best-selling book, Solve It Yourself, Fix the World's Problems with Science. He's an assistant professor of genetics and genomic sciences at the Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai, New York City. Quan leads the computational omics lab that's dedicated to solving pressing challenges in human disease. His website, quanlinwang.com, that's K-U-A-N-L-I-N-H-U-A-N-G.com. Quan, thank you so much for joining us on Mission Evolution. Thank you, Gwilda, for the invitation. It's an honor to be here. It's an honor to have you. So what's your educational background? I know you're a scientist. Yeah, so uh, I was born and raised in this fabulous country island in Taiwan. And I came here to the U.S. for college at Wesleyan University, where I have a liberal art background. I did my undergrad there, has honors in studio art and molecular biology. I really think inter- integrating art and science is important and great. And then I went on to Washington University in St. Louis to do my PhD in genetics and genomic sciences. We use the code of DNA and understanding of it and data science machine learning to solve a lot of problems in diseases like cancer. And I went on to carry on with that uh, with my postdoctoral career at WashU. And now, as you said, I'm an assistant professor at the Mount Sinai School of Medicine in New York City. Well, now you have me really curious. Why do you think that blending science and art is really important? 
Yeah, so, you know, I think science and technology can only get you so far because they're the tools that is important to what you can do. But to know the direction where you want to apply it and using it to advance humanity, you really need to have a more holistic pictures of what might happen and what's the consequence of applying this technology. So whatever mission you are trying to advance, you really need to think about the bigger pictures. And I think art comes in a lot of times to help you think about the more global picture, to use more of a right brain to think about that. So bringing in the left and the right brain to find balance. Exactly. Nice, nice. I understand you're involved in biomedical research. Would you mind defining biomedical for us? Sure, yeah. So I call it biomedical research because uh, it's really applying our understanding of biology to solve medical problem. And if you think about it, all the medical issues we might have, whether it's cancer, Alzheimer's, eventually comes down to the biology of us being a living organism. And being a or living organism, we are great at doing specific things, but we might also suffer from natural consequences like aging, infected by viruses and such. So if we understand the biology better, we can often find ways to prevent or even treat the diseases sometimes. You um, lead the computational um, omnics lab. What is that and what do you do there? Yeah, so uh, computational omic. Omic refers to the global view of all the molecules that's involved in your body, your biology, and maybe in a disease state. So previously, for example, if people, doctors diagnosed with breast tumors, they might see a lump in the breast and they are treating it all the same. They try to cut it out. They try to go through chemotherapy. But now with all the advanced technologies we have, we are able to get the whole down to each molecule detail of what really went wrong in that specific patient's tumor. So now when you go into the clinic, we do this technology characterization and we do advanced data analytics and machine learning to really find the best drug that can best treat each patient. And so our lab is focused on the computational end of that, that really try to make sense of the data. And really when the next patient comes in and generate all the data about this patient's disease, really be able to find the best way uh, ahead for the patients. What do you see as um, what's going to come of us combining that big data and uh, machine learning with healthcare? Yeah, so I think this is definitely a really hot direction that will bring about a lot of innovations and breakthrough in how we treat disease. Like I said, you know, previously we treat them kind of in a blindfolded manner, but now we know the whole picture. So we're able to have this kind of so-called personalized therapy that we really understand each person's specific disease. The other side of this opportunity I can see is that a lot of the new test diagnostics and also uh, concerns the way that each of, how each of us sleep, how each of us eat, how each of us exercise. And maybe with more and more of this data, we can optimize, you know, based on each of our own genetic code and our family history, our molecular data, what's the best way for us to live a healthy life without even getting these disease in the first place. And I think that would be a really promising way for us to go forward too. Well, it sounds like you're going to need a massive amount of information on each individual for that to be personalized. How can you manage that? Yeah, it does require a lot of information. Um, but actually, if you think about it, now we do have a lot of information about each of us already. You know, every time 
each of us interact with the technology. We already generate a lot of data about where we're going, that kind of stuff. Even Google Maps sometimes know how much you walk and bike. The other side of it is that we probably will have more and more of these preventive diagnostics. So, you know, when you are born and a lot of you, a lot of the audience, and maybe some people have got genetic testing like 23andMe, basic time technology is gonna become more readily available for more individuals. So you can, before even a disease, know your disease risk and where the highest risk lies. And then you are able to decide your best route for yourself to, you know, maybe you eat a specific kind of diet or exercise in a specific interval to prevent those diseases. Do you see um, insurance and healthcare and, you know, right now my insurance company has my preferred provider and I go in and they end up with a scary amount of information about me. Do you see them cooperating with the big data uh, future that you're envisioning? And if so, what about the privacy of the individual? Yeah, that's a very good point. And uh, being a scientist and now a policy expert, uh, I am not in the best place to answer. I can say that I think some certain state and national governments have already ruled out that insurance can use pre-existing conditions or certain data to change individuals' insurance rate. And at least in the research that we do, we have very thorough policy about patient data protection but it is definitely very important as we have more and more data about individuals, how we make them um, not identifiable and only release at each individual's will in a very transparent way to each person. So a person would basically have their own data bank that they could then share with their practitioner? That part I really don't know because I'm really not a policy expert. And the other side of this is that, you know, coming from Taiwan and now being in the U.S., um, I know that this kind of policy really varies by country. Uh, different people with different background and culture have very different thoughts about how much data they're willing to share in return of potentially, you know, better and better, better information on the doctor's side, on the provider side, on the insurer side. So I think this will really vary by person and hopefully each place really arrive at its best solution. Right now, I'm sure that, you know, with the battle for COVID going on and trying to develop um, vaccines and boosters, that the more data we have, the more accurately and quickly that we can achieve this. So the logic of it makes perfect sense to me. But it sounds like you're having to balance the individual with the needs of the many in the process of, of gathering this data and sharing it. Definitely. Yeah. Okay. So um, how did your involvement in the scientific world lead you to helping the layperson um, solve problems? Yeah. You know, I am a scientist by training and in my day job. And science is really about pushing the boundary of human knowledge that might yield a diagnostic test in 10 years, a drug in 15 years. But, you know, like many of us living in this world now, we see all these burning problems we have in the world like climate change, like chronic disease burden that's going to, you know, amount to crazy amount of healthcare dollars spent for everyone, social media problems. And, you know, my family is also really involved in this. My sister worked for Greenpeace. She always thought that, you know, Quan, you're a professor. You should go with the students on the street of New York to go on that climate strike on Fridays. And I really have this personal way of contributing or should I keep doing my research, right? And so in this whole time, I really tried to come with a philosophy of how I want to lead a life 
that's responsible, but also um, help the world in best manner I could while living a life that I want. And so this is when I really come, try to come with this philosophy. Okay, how do I live a life that balances out my science background and also as a lay person, do my best to solve some of these problems that I'm not necessarily the best expert at. That's, that's an amazing approach and one I want to pick up. We're about to have a commercial break, but I'd really like to get deeper into that approach and what drove you to it on the other side of this commercial break. Quan and I will return shortly, so don't you go away. This is Mission Evolution with Gwilda Wiecka. For more information or to access past archived episodes, visit www.missionevolution.org. We know you can't get enough of your favorite flavors. Luckily, Kroger Free Pickup makes it easy to grab what you need without any surprise fees. Whether it's extra buns for the barbecue or those chips you just can't quit, start your cart with the Kroger app. Kroger, fresh for everyone. $35 order minimum restrictions may apply, subject to availability. It's the big $10 sale, so mix and match and get two, three, four, five, or even 10 for $10 with your card. So many great deals. Kroger, fresh for everyone. The we're going family style deal. Because I want a bite of your Big Mac. And I need some of your quarter pound. I'll try your filet of fish. There's a deal for every friend group at McDonald's. Order any two classics for just six bucks. Price of participation may vary. Single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer. Hello again, this is Mission Evolution, missionevolution.org. We're dedicated to unification and evolution of consciousness. With us this hour discussing the problem-solving potential of biomedical research is Quan Lin Huan. His website, K-U-A-N-L-I-N-H-U-A-N-G.com. Quan, we were getting into what drove you, if you will, to try to combine the work that you do as a scientist with helping the layperson solve problems. Would you continue with that, please? Yeah, definitely. So, you know, as a scientist, I really am balancing myself in doing my really more cutting edge research that's not directly translatable yet to being just a normal human being who wants to help the world with the rest of other problems like climate change, social media addictions, all these problems I also concern myself and the people I really care about, a lot about around me that you know I try to find a ways to solve this problem like every one of us do. And so this is when I start thinking about what's my philosophy going forward with this? What's the best way I can help while also doing a decently good job in my work and living a life that I want? Uh, one thing that comes to mind for me is, as a scientist, when we started this um, this uh, episode, you listed this amazing educational background that you have. And I know the scientific method is not an easy thing to learn. How um, have you planned on distilling it down to where the layperson can do it without totally bungling it up? 
Yeah, that's a very important uh, note. And even as a scientist, when I read a literature at a place that I'm not familiar with, I need a lot of thoughts about this too. So, you know, let's say if you want to solve a problem like climate change, or you want to solve like problem like social media addiction, it's overwhelming where even to begin, right? And this is where I think as scientists, we provide value and we should provide value is to prove certain method work and certain methods don't work. So for example, you know, in terms of preventing or treating COVID, we now know with clinical trials, certain drugs don't work, but certain vaccines work well to a certain extent that we can measure as scientists. And that information should be communicated well and, reg uh, and transported well to the public. In terms of where to get your information from as a layperson, I think that's one thing that's very important. You know, if you're looking for solutions, definitely look for the trusted media source and that have expert endorsement. What they say is the best methods. Whenever someone says that this will always work or it's definitely the best approach, I think that's always an alarm. As a scientist, people never really say that because we know everything is assigned with probabilities. And then the other side of this is then to look at your options of actions and try to prioritize them, which one provide the most effective uh, results that you want to achieve. So for example, you know, in terms of say, solving climate change, there are certain approaches that will reduce a lot of greenhouse emissions. Let's say if you, you reduce your international flights by one or two flights a year, that reduces a lot. Whereas certain things like turning off one light is great, but you know, if it's gonna take you a lot of effort, it might not be as effective as some of the other ways. I know that um, scientific information is very, very important. But I know also that a lot of people are pretty frustrated because the latest studies are only good until they're refuted by the next latest study. And so the information seems to change a lot. How can we find our way through that as a layperson? Yeah, and how, how do I find my way through life as a scientist? Because <laughs> the whole paradigm changed. Yeah. You know, normally when something's a sign of scientific values, I think most of these things are really tried and true. So, you know, there are certain things that are refuted over time. Like, I, I, I guess you could say that maybe 30 years ago, people think eating a lot of carbohydrates could be a good diet and that end up being backfiring because of scientific evidence. When people went back to check, there was actually a lot of conflict of interest of the scientists involved in the study being sponsored by the sugar industry, et cetera, right? So, you know, one thing that's supposedly better with science is that most of us don't have that strong of a conflict of interest. We don't do research on behalf of big corporation that can make a lot of money out of certain things. And when we do, we need to disclose those information. And that's why, you know, scientists hope, hopefully normally have a more objective view of things. And typically when you produce that kind of results, I think it's more consistent. I think, you know, what we think about how um, a healthy way to live a life in general has been pretty consistent still, right? What we think is useful to uh, help with climate change and how the climate change is exacerbating. I think those scientific consensus are pretty established and clear over time. So, you know, I think hopefully these are the findings that give us better confidence, but it's kind of like weather prediction. I, I'm sure those people are trying to do their best job too, but it doesn't always work. But I think one thing we can, I can guarantee is that hopefully most of the time, most scientists 
have better intentions than falsify informations. And if you go to the trusted source, you know, that's really how our best data supports the current conclusion. Obviously, then with supporting the current conclusion, there are different levels of confidence. Like, for example, we have pretty good confidence that the COVID vaccines are very, very effective. And sometimes effectiveness is 95% against the original SARS-CoV-2 strain, right? But, you know, things could change. And like you said, the Delta variants, but it's a new, different scientific question that we're dealing with. And I think the moving target of question changes too. I think that's some, sometimes make it a little bit more complicated. But I think if you look for consistency across what most scientists believe, it typically can stand the test of time. So where does a person find this information to be looking for the mm. consistency? Certainly not the social media, I would expect. Yeah, and I think that's one really tricky thing about being in this age of you know, ex exploded information. There are just so many sources of information. And I would argue that for mental health, um, that perhaps even tempering down the social media use and news exposure could be you know, better for your mental health just because the nature of news, they try to grab your attention. They try to go to the emotional side that triggers anxiety out of you, right? But then the question is, where should you get the trusted information? I think in light of a pandemic like this, you will see unconflicted government bodies that like CD Center for Disease Control, CDC, that have more objective point of view that suggests a better guidance. And they definitely gather a lot of scientists, experts, and uh, consolidated information. One thing that they can do better than us, perhaps, is they can communicate information better to a layperson. So I would say that, you know, in addition, and maybe you should temper down the news sometimes a little bit, because also the news media is tricky sometimes. They do have some conflict of interest, is to go to these more official non-for-profit organization, whether that's a government or international organizations. I think a lot of the times those organizations provide really good information. So it sounds like that the bottom line is that the, the layperson really needs to be very, very mindful where they get their information and check that the information hasn't changed on a frequent basis. This sounds like it could be kind of a full-time job if you're not careful. Yeah, I, I think it is definitely uh, not the easiest thing to do. And personally, I think it has helped me a lot in my life to focus on more long time uh, stand the test of truth media. Like, you know, I would try to read more books and consume minimum news because, you know, if a book is a classic, those principles will likely apply. Definitely, that's a little trickier with, you know, arising problems, new problems. But I feel like if you look, if you learn the principles that have helped navigate human life for, you know, decades or even hundreds of hundreds of years, most principles can be applied to solve current problems. And I think that's on our way, I think about it. But I agree, it's a hard problem. So these principles um, that you learn through the scientific method and that you're trying trying to make more user-friendly for the layperson, I guess that you have laid some things out to give us some guidance. Yeah, so I think, you know, one philosophy that I, I really like, no matter what problem you're facing, is, you know, try to solve it yourself, solve a problem yourself, right? And I think people have this DIY philosophy when they try to assemble their own closet, fix their own bike. But, you know, in thinking about the world's problem that each of us facing, 
it is definitely overwhelming with all this amount of information. But if you really break it down to a solve it yourself philosophy, and uh, you know, really think about what's the root cause, who's responsible here, and what are the proven action to take, it will really help you navigate a lot of these problems. So you're advocating individualizing solutions. And that does make sense is the point there so that the solutions can be one that are user-friendly for the individual. I agree. And everyone has their own path in life. So I think it's definitely just a framework to help individuals think how they should take actions and their way of living their life. So if we, I would think that, you know, a lot of people feel out of control right now. So taking control back by finding your own solutions that work for you sounds like a really win-win. I agree. And, and I think the other side of this is that, you know, sometimes people think they don't want to be the problem solver, you know, to, to humongous problems like climate change, like social media, like healthcare burden. But actually, if you can solve part of a problem yourself, it's often pretty empowering because you're taking action and you can actually make a difference. So true, so true. Uh, it is time for another break. Quan and I will return to our discussion shortly. So you stay right there. This is Mission Evolution with Wilda Wiecka. For more information or to access past archived episodes, visit www.missionevolution.org. The pandemic has been hard on all our kids. New studies show more than one in three children who started school in the pandemic now need intensive reading help. That's right. Millions of kids in kindergarten through third grade in the United States cannot read at grade level. Here's the good news. Your child can be reading in just 30 days, guaranteed, with Hooked on Phonics. Even if your child has been struggling, Hooked on Phonics will teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. And right now, you can get started for just one dollar. Text the word GRADE to 323232 right now. Hooked on Phonics is highly effective and incredibly fun, and everything can be done right from home and in less than 20 minutes a day. For more than 30 years, Hooked on Phonics has been the proven learn-to-read program that kids love to use. Text GRADE to 323232 and teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. Text GRADE to 323232 right now and get started for just $1. Text GRADE to 323232 now. Text GRADE to 323232. Welcome back. This is Mission Evolution, missionevolution.org. Our guest this hour is Quan Lin Wan. We're speaking about fixing the world's problems with science. His website, quanlinwan.com. Quan, we were getting into individualized solutions, and there's a lot to be said for that. There's a term that you use. It is social actionist. What is that exactly? Yeah, so, you know, I think social actionists are my heroes and they're the people who really try to solve the world's problem themselves. 
right? And so I think I can tell a story here that you know, in 2013, I went to volunteer in this village in Kenya called Isli, where there's a lot of Somali, Somali uh, immigrants from the civil war. And the living condition is not exactly the best. You know, the roads typically are really muddy. There's a lot of trash. Sometimes people go to the toilet on the streets. And, you know, I was kind of sent there to help be part of a lab that helped them do the diagnostic test, because as you can imagine, a lot of people there get infectious disease, right? And hopefully they rely on the help of Western medicine that helps them solve the disease. But after being there for a while, you know, I realized a lot of these diseases are only there because the environment they live in is not too hygienic. And perhaps it's better to find ways to help the community become cleaner rather than you know, us relying on the Western medicine to try to treat the people once they get it. So you know, as outsiders, we are actually not the best people to do this. And the solution I come up with at that time is that I had this epiphany that maybe you know, we can have a kids educational program um, at that time, I just finished my uh, compulsory military service in Taiwan where I teach English to kids. So I'm, I kind of am first in like making these posters and skits for kids that, um, you know, teaching about certain actions. And these things are super easy. Like, you know, don't throw the trash, don't litter on the road, um, don't go to restroom on the streets and maybe wash your hand after you use the toilet. The kids obviously, uh, you know, they're open to change and I think after learning the cause and effect, they really take down to themselves to start practicing those uh, easy actions that make the community cleaner. And in that effect, they become the social act actionist. They are actually you know, practicing with their own hands to make a change to the community. And they even, some of them even teach that to their parents, to their family, and that really you know, initiate this widespread change that can really help the community in some ways better than how us as external volunteers can help them. So I think these social nationalists are really the hero and our society can always uh, need more of these people to make a change. And I think it's really down to each of us to become a social actionist. Well, no, no truer words were ever spoken. And again, just like we started the program, the answers lie within the individual. Um, the, we can't expect government to fix it. We have to each take our own action. How can a person find what action is best for them to take? Yeah. And so, you know, we talk about how to digest like the wide amount of scientific information. I think that's definitely tricky. Right. And so we talk about going to the trusted international organization. If we are trying to tackle problems like COVID-19, you know, the Center for Disease Control, for example, in different countries, the WHO have released guidelines that's often based on digesting a lot of scientific literatures. And that typically will list the top prioritized actions. Um, so I think definitely consult those resources and you will find a lot of these um, a lot of these actions that you as individual can actually take. So I think, you know, for example, on climate change, there are also certain organizations that compile the action. A lot of it really, when you come about, come to think about it, is really the root cause of these problems. Who caused this problem? Why are these problems caused? And then really try to go back to the root cause and, you know, either not generate more of the root cause or directly address it. So what is the solve it yourself philosophy? Yeah, so the solve it yourself is really like a DIY to social problems. And I boil it down to four major steps, right? So 
One is costs, identified root costs, as I just mentioned. You know, I think sometimes it's a little hard to find a root cause to a problem. Um, I think, for example, when the COVID-19 pandemic first broke out in New York City, when I'm currently residing at, it's very tricky to know what actually caused the disease to spread like wildfire, right? And I think one technique that's really useful is to ask many whys in a row, right? So, you know, the disease spread like wildfire, why is that? Well, because each infected person spread to more than one people. Then why would each infected person spread to more than one people? Well, then we figure out this is the airborne virus that transmit to other individuals, especially indoor environment. People are talking, singing, that kind of environment really uh, produce, those produce those transmissions. And then so maybe we should really try to address those, right? So that's the first one is the cost. Second is once you identify the cause, you realize for a lot of these social problems, we really need to change our mindset. It's really most of the time, not just a single government or single big corporation's fault, but each of us contributed some action to the root cause and each of us have a role to play and can carry some responsibility into addressing this. And, you know, I'm not a parent yet myself, but I think one thing that I'm really amazed at all the time is that when I see my friends become parents, they become so responsible, right? If, imagine if you're a parent for a child in a place where, you know, the school's education isn't that good. Are you gonna go yell at the government and until they change a policy, you don't try to educate your kids better? Probably not, right? You probably try to take your kids to different kind of uh, clubs. You try to read them books, things like that. So I think the second step is very important for us to own each of our responsibility. On the third step is taking action and taking the proven action that generate the most effect. And I think here we talk a lot about uh, identifying the best action and prioritizing them. And lastly, the fourth step is to 10X your impact by really trying to solve the problem with many others. And here I can think about, you know, if you identify, let's say a way to probably solve climate change by reducing waste by always, you know, bringing a reusable container to certain place that you shopped pretty often, then maybe you can start doing this with a group of friends. And maybe in the process, you know, your group of friends will also affect more other people. And so that will be more fun and also more accountable when you try to do these actions together. And I think in the end, although it's really start from yourself, the action is a great grassroots movement that really enlarged to a societal scale. And that may have comparable, if not even bigger effect than some of the change that comes from the top down that sometimes people don't follow. So I think, you know, again, going from number one, identify the root cause. Number two, mindset, own the responsibility you have. Number three, take the proven actions. And number four, working on it together with others and, you know, a larger impact. So it sounds like what you're doing there is starting from the inside. You know, what is the problem? How do I see it? Why, why, why? And then moving it you know, taking responsibility, that's still an inside job. Choosing an action, that's still an inside job. But then it ends up with sharing your enthusiasm and trying to get other people to uh, initiate their action. Would you suggest, how would you suggest motivating people? Because let's face it, people aren't motivated. Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, each of us is on a different journey. I think that's where the mindset part comes in right and 
I think every of us have a different problem that we are more passionate about solving. I think that's an important place to start. You know, what really is a single problem that you are most passionate about addressing? And, you know, I think sometimes people have this mentality that, you know, like the climate is changing, the sea level is rising, but I think it's all just because of the fault of, you know, the, these, the, the gas mining industry, uh, they are burning too much fuel and I really can't do much about it. Well, I think if you think about it, the industries are doing what they do because there are certain demands. And if you're like me that, you know, that take cars to go certain places, sometimes that take an airplane flight, sometimes you are contributing to that. And so I think it's very important to own your responsibility. And it might sound like a burden at first, but I think on the other side of that, I think, especially in this COVID pandemic, sometimes people feel helpless because they feel like there's so little they can do about it. But if you think about it in terms of individual actions and how you as an individual can help, that is a very empowering thought. And when you put those actions into practice, I have seen it transform people to make them more activated because when they start solving the problem, even they're solving it for the world, they're also helping themselves mentally because they see what they do is making a difference. So I think it really comes down to you know, really starting from the place that takes you the most and start taking small actions. And eventually I think it will just be a positive cycle that, you know, keep rolling onto more actions and more responsibility that you will enjoy. So are you then through the process, and we're just about out of time in the segment, but through the process, are you actually engaging a person's passion by um, showing them that they are not powerless? Exactly. I think it's important to know, you know, what you are passionate about solving and definitely acknowledge the power you have. Power. Isn't that something? And we so feel powerless right now. So that's a great point we'll pick up with on the other side of yet another commercial break. Kwan and I will be back shortly to continue our discussion. So don't go away. This is Mission Evolution with Gwilda Wiecka. For more information or to visit past archived episodes, visit www.missionevolution.org. is Mission Evolution, bringing together gifted people of service to the world. To find out more about me, Golda Wiecka, my school, and the other evolutionary tools we offer, visit findyourpathhome.com. This hour, we're sharing thoughts with Quan Lin Wang. His website, quanlinwang.com. 
Juan, we were getting into the empowerment of the individual and how so many of us feel absolutely powerless until we start taking action and see that action bear fruit. Um, but like you say, with your procedure, the most important part is figuring out which action to take so that it does have a positive effect. So with that in mind, how do you figure out that action? Yeah, and uh, I think it really goes down to going to the trusted source. So as we talk about, you know, if you think about how to stop COVID-19 spread, you can, you know, if you go on Twitter, you'll hear all kinds of things, right? Different people we follow might have different opinions. But if you go to Center for Disease Control, CDC, or if you go to WHO, the trusted, uh, unconflicted, hopefully, organizations, they'll provide guidelines like, you know, I think it's a scientific consensus that face mask wearing help and trying to limit indoor gathering helps. So I think for that kind of problem, go to the kind of organization that try to address the problems and they will tell you about the specific actions that you can take as an individual to have the highest leverage. I think definitely there is still a gap in some of these conversations. So in my book, it's also my journey to finding out the best actions to some of these problems that I'm really eager of solving like social media, like, um, like climate change. And I, I think it really is still a gap that I think some of us has to continue working on scientific communication. Communication is the key because you're taking it from a person with mega education in the field and trying to make sense to the layperson. But I think that there's very many people out there that are very dedicated to doing that. And that's what they do is translate that information. How do we find those people? Yeah, so I think a lot of the a lot of the people work for these kind of non-for-profit or governmental organization that disseminate the knowledge. And I think, you know, definitely there are people in Center for Disease Control that are uh, in charge of really releasing the information to the public. There are definitely people in WHO or my sister work with Greenpeace. They're really the experts in kind of decimating these information. And I think those sources are great because also they're less conflicted than some, some, some of the things you can see on you know certain people, social media, et cetera, that those people might have certain conflict of interest. So I think those big governmental or non-for-profit international organizations are a good source. Very nice. So on, on other health fronts, what uh, success um, has your group had in cancer research? Yeah, so I think now, you know, as we talk about in the beginning of the show, now we're able to use technology to generate all the big data in medicine and we combine with all the big data that an individual may have, we might be able to come up with better personalized therapy for each person. And also now we have more and more better machine learning techniques and more data to learn from, we can better predict disease risk at a level that we never had before. So once an individual is born, maybe in the future, we will all be subjected to some kind of genetic sequencing to know the entirety of a genetic code. And we will know what's the highest risk of this individual getting a certain disease and how this individual might attune their diet or exercise lifestyle to tackle the disease. Now, I want to say one thing is that, you know, we have made a lot of progress with others in really trying to find the best treatment. But I think something that's really tried and true, especially in terms of disease, is that prevention is always much, much better than treatment, right? Even if we have the best treatment in the world, it's definitely not better than not having the disease 
in the first place. In cancer, a lot of times we're still talking about five-year survival. And if you improve that, that's great. But if you think about it, five-year survival really is not that long to live. But if you never have cancer to begin with, I think that's a better place for most people. So I think one thing I'd like to highlight here is, you know, we talk about a solve it yourself philosophy, and there's a lot we can do with cutting edge technology, development, and biomedicine. But on the end of the road, even for these really hard problems, solving yourself and leading a healthy lifestyle will be most helpful to an individual level to prevent all these, you know, really difficult disease like cancer, Alzheimer's, and even COVID-19. Is there a scientifically proven method that we can prevent cancer? Yeah, so I think there definitely is a strong consensus on certain actions. Uh, for lung cancer, for example, not smoking is one single action that probably can cure more cancer and cancer-related death than any single pharma that are making you know billions in the world. Um, I think you know on that front, staying away. I think now, especially in this age, staying away from pollutants. Um, in a lot of areas, we start having more air pollution. Be really mindful about exercising, doing activity outdoors. It's very important. One thing that's arising in cancer is that in recent years in developed countries, there's a lot of obesity-related cancers on the rise. And really think that a lot of uh, mechanisms and epidemiological evidence have pointed out that obesity and some of these can be a risk factor to some of the cancer type in the GI tract, for example. So I think, you know, controlling your diet, making sure you are eating more vegetables, not eating too much of the traditional junk food will actually be possibly preventative for cancer. And obviously, you know, sleep, exercise, those are just a try and truth advice for living a healthy life, not just cancer, but against other disease as well. So how can your uh, procedure be applied towards the social issues that we're facing? Yeah, so, you know, if you solve an individual's disease, right, you know, we are all selfish in some regard and I want to prevent myself from getting cancer. But if you think about it, if I prevent from myself from getting cancer or if I prevent myself from getting Alzheimer's, I am doing a big favor or each of us can be doing a big favor to our family, right? Because if I get cancer, I suffer a lot, but my family will be suffering even more because they've got to spend all the energy and money and time to take care of me. And the society will also need to carry the burden of a really increased healthcare cost that will be you know, just exponential when all of us start getting these diseases. So I think you know, first taking care of yourself is very important. And also your action will make a difference to everyone around you and you know, really expand it out to the rest of the world. Kwanlin, what is your mission? Yeah, my mission, um, I'm really that adapted to the people that have, you know, taught me in my life. And I've been an athlete growing up and really benefit a lot from having a healthy lifestyle. So I really want to spread these things that have really helped me. And so my goal is really to empower people to live a life that's healthy and also to live a life that they can find a fulfilling thing they want to do to make a difference. How did you find your passion and your path that might help others do the same? Yeah, I think that's, you know, knowing yourself is one of the most interesting adventure in life. And that's probably one of the most important questions that for me, I continuously ask myself. And so, you know, in terms of thinking about my own mission, right, I think a couple exercises that 
are, you know, uh, established by others has helped. One is to, you know, imagine you yourself at your deathbed. If you're walking up to a funeral and you see yourself being dead there, what would each of your family, your friends, your colleagues, and your community say about you, right? And what kind of person do you want to become? What kind of contribution do you want to have for each of the ind important individuals in your life? And then you can work your way back from there. Maybe your mission is to help your community to become really well-bonded and um, have exciting social events going on every week, right? Then you can work your way back about how you want to get there. And then the other side of it, I think, is really try to find their intersection of the things that you are particularly gifted to do that you have always done well, and then find the things that you're really interested in doing, and then finally find a part of it that makes it that makes whatever you're doing sustainable, whether that's through money or some kind of energy. And the intersection of that is something that you can really keep on doing for a long time and be happy. So you're advocating that this is a very individualized as well, rather than the cookie cutter method of, okay, what's going to make the money Then I'm going to go to school for that, but instead follow your passion. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I think it's an intersection, right? Because you can have passion in certain things that will, that may not ever make money, right? I think many people might enjoy watching YouTube video for like hours and hours, but it's probably going to be hard to be sustainable, right? And also, um, you know, that has to intersect with a bigger mission of the world. So I think it's really the intersection of what's important, what you're good at, and what is sustainable, whether that's through energy or resource. And money is just a kind of resource. It'd be beautiful if we could all just see it as a resource rather than being controlled by it, wouldn't it? I think definitely. I, 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 I think, you know, one of the great and but sometimes complain about being, about being a scientist is to go through this PhD of five, six or more years with a minimal salary as a trainee. But I think once you go through that, you're comfortable with you know, spending minimal money and whatever you have as extra is a contribution. Beautiful. So that, you yeah. know, unfortunately we are out of time. Quan, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Guada. Really appreciate it. Our guest this hour has been Quan Lin Wan, Assistant Professor of Genetics and Genomic Sciences and author of Solve It Yourself, Fix the World's Problems with Science. His website, quanlinwang.com. This has been Mission Evolution with Gwilda Wiecka. For more information or to access past archived episodes, visit www.missionevolution.org. Join us next time as the mission continues, bringing information, resources, and support to our evolving world.